<laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Broadway Babies. I'm Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. Our guest today is the wonderful Mark Shaman. Welcome to Broadway Babies, Mark. Hello. It's been a long time since I was a Broadway baby. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, the first thing that we'd just like to do is ask uh, if you can give us just a little bit of your background and your journey into the arts. Well, um, <laughs> well, I was just a suburban kid in New Jersey. I excelled at my piano lessons and could play, but unfortunately, my elementary school didn't have any kind of music program. So until I hit seventh grade, only like my family and aunts and uncles and cousins knew that I played piano well. I, there was no other place for me. But then, thank God, when I got to junior high school, there were lots of talent shows and choir. And, and there was a music teacher who was uh, I really hit it off with, who was, let me say, young and hip. And uh, he, he enjoyed having this little freak mini me next to him who just wanted to constantly create harmonies and figure out the right chords for everything. So there I lived in that auditorium for, for three years, seventh, eighth and ninth grade. And um, then I also started doing community theater. Thank God there were two women in my community who saw that not only did my um, elementary school not have any theater or music program, but there was no musical theater in the junior high school or high schools either. They weren't putting on musicals. So these two ladies took it upon themselves to create something in the summer. And I went to audition one summer and it was for the sound of music. And I said, can I audition to play piano? And they said, well, there's a piano play. Let's hear you. And I played. And when I finished playing, I remember, I actually can still remember turning around and everyone was just sort of like, because I really was like a little, a little freak. I mean, I could really play and, you know, I could, you know, so um, from that moment on, it was just musical theater constantly. The, the woman, Judy Cole, one of the women who was running this also directed a lot of community theater. And so she started taking me under her wing and bringing me to all these adult community theaters where th the same scenario would happen. She would say, here's their musical director. And they would look at this pimply 13 year old kid and say, Judy, have you lost your mind? And then she'd say, Mark, play. <laughs> and I'd play, and then, and then suddenly it was all happening. So I just got immersed in musical theater and learned everything I could ever want to know from really doing real shows where you get the, the piano vocal score, where you really get to see all the intricate chords, not just the simple, simplified way that they make it a music sheet, but the real nitty gritty and what the trombones are doing and the flutes. And I could listen to the cast album finally and see it right there in the music, what all those instruments were doing. And that was just, you know, that was my schooling. Uh, as you may have noticed, all you have to do is ask me one question and then wrap up at the end of when I finish talking. But, um, <laughs> no, we, that's we what love it. That's, that's what we exactly love. Yep. So with, with all that, it was just my, as people say, journey that I realized I could, when I found out I could take a GED, the state equivalency diploma, and get my high school diploma, I did that. And the day I turned 16, I left high school. And a few months later, after kind of just hanging around, still doing shows in the, in the uh, mid-New Jersey area, I met some people in New York one day going to see a show off Broadway with a friend and they asked if I could play piano for their review, the comedy review. I started going in on the weekends and eventually just started staying at their apartment when I would go to play and they said, hey, one of the roommates is moving out. And so I moved to New York before I turned 17. Wow. And every blessed dream come true that I ever dreamed of all started coming true just out of like some crazy fairy tale. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I, I, you know, we love hearing this kind of thing from from you out of your mouth and, and we get to learn a little bit more about you that we didn't already know. So thank you for that. Saturday Night Live. We do have some things to discuss that are not necessarily Broadway, but I know Stephanie wants to talk about the yes, Sweeney Sisters with you because, I mean, how fabulous are the Sweeney Sisters? 
Okay, the Sweeney they were, sisters. They were very musical theatery. I mean, yes, yeah. and they sure. were one of my favorite sketches. Is when whenever the Sweeney sisters would come on, that was like, this is my jam. I'm watching this. <laughs> Love them. Um, uh, Nora Dunn and um, and Jan Hooks. Yes, God rest her soul. Um, just so funny and so refreshing to see that because um, we would. I had a friend in college, as a matter of fact, um, who we would use. We used to do the Sweeney Sisters together. Like we would do that. You know, we would see each other go, "Hi, doing? You know, we would do that together. <laughs> so we would. That was our favorite thing. Can you tell us anything about the development of? Sweeney Sisters, or were you involved in that part, or were you just? Yeah, my memory, which is of course hideous, but my memory of that <laughs> is, I think I know, Jan Hooks had already done something like that with one of the writers who was at Saturday Night Live. Of course, their name escapes me right now. It was a husband and wife team. Oh my God, my memory. Anywho, so Jan and nameless woman whose name I should really be able to think of already had done something like that. So, and, and since the woman was a writer on the show, she was happy to sort of give it over to, to Nora to take the place of what she had done. I think I want to say like South Carolina where they, I think they went to school. Um, so Jan came into the music, my little music cubby hole. And I had been sitting there for most of that year. That was the f first time I was hired to be there full time a whole year. Uh, previous years I had been called in just freelance if someone already had a musical idea, they would call me up. But this year, I was, I was, it was a full-time job, just sitting in there. And this was, a, a, unfortunately for me, at a time at Saturday Night Live where there wasn't a lot of music or theatrical music. Now, there's so much. I can't, so much. I, I sit yeah. and I salivate at, like, why wasn't it like that when I was there? I, it was the only time almost in my life where I'm going to use a bad word where I kind of felt like I was the fag at the end of the hall. Like, like they didn't know what to make of me, most of the writers there. But luckily, Jan and Nora, they, you know, when they walked in my office, it was just like, oh, <laughs> finally, there was something I could so sink my teeth and my fingers into to come up with bizarre medleys. It was something I would oh, always do goodness. anyway. I was always medleyizing, you know, at a cast party or whatever. I would always sit and do things like that. So there was this over-the-top, you know, musical theater types who just have maybe a little bit too much energy, <laughs> not, not quite as much talent as they might think they do, but love what they do. So there was, that was the other great thing about the Sweeney Sisters. It's so full of such joy. And even though they're right. not so as talented as they think they might be, they're so full of joy of performing. And, you know, so we just did all those sketches with this, this Christmas one with the Christmas bells medley. Oh my gosh, that was what I was just going to talk to you about is Clang, 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 Clang. <laughs> What's that one line she says? There's a word in this business, people. Uh, support. And this, this little gal has given me nothing but from the get-go. <laughs> so yeah, that Only was- Only you all could see Mark's face yeah. when he did that. <laughs> So that was my personal lifeboat there that 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 Aww. particular year uh to get to do that and um there you go that's the sweeney wow sister. those two ladies spoke to me i love them they were just fantastic but i taught the clang 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 when you would go into that number particularly when they would do that started howling that was yeah. hilarious <laughs> good stuff good very stuff. good stuff yes <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to talk a little bit about Bette Midler. So you've done quite a bit with Bette from, uh, from her Broadway show to uh, Wind Beneath My Wings and From a Distance. And what can you tell us about um, how you first began to work with Bette and how that has kind of evolved over the years? Well, that was when I spoke about this fairy tale of when I first moved to New York and how everything just fell into place. Even the people I met that one day who led me to moving to New York. I mean, 30 seconds later and we would not have crossed paths. So anyway, when I would stay with them, I was a Bette Midler fanatic. So for, for like maybe three years before that, 
when Bette Midler was just really becoming a star with Boogie Woogie, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy on the radio and her appearances on the Johnny Carson show. And it was when, and her first two records, she, you know, it was when she exploded as the star long before the movies. And um, I idolized her. I mean, she was everything I wanted to be a part of in music and theater, her, her sense of humor and her sense of pathos, pathos, um, everything. And I had, I went to see, I actually lifted some money from my father's wallet one morning, <laughs> cut school, took the bus to New York City and bought one ticket to Bette Midler Clams on the Half Shell, which was a concert she did on Broadway. She had, it was the second time she had done her concert on Broadway, but this one was very theatricalized. And I sat there that night and watched, and I actually had this little fantasy in my head of running down the aisle and saying, Oh, Miss Midler, I know every note of every arrangement of every song on every record. Please let me play for you. And I would get up on stage and I'd play and she'd look at the audience going, hey, he's nice, he's good. So not just, but a few years later, maybe two years later, I was suddenly staying with these people at their apartment and across the hall from them lived Ula Hedwig, who was one of Bette Midler's harlots. Bette Midler has three backup girls mm -hmm. that right. she calls the harlots. And she had let the girls on her previous tour open for uh, the second act. They did their own song, which gave them the idea of, hey, let's make our own act. And so there I was across the hall, you know, 17 years old, full of the kind of harmony I knew they wanted to do from my studying Bette Midler records and then studying the records that Bette Midler led me to through the girl group stuff and the Andrew sister stuff. You know, she exposed me to all this stuff. And... And so there I was, and I'd work for nothing. I, I wanted to do it so badly. I was 17, and it was Bette Midler's backup singers. And so I became their musical director out of the sheer luck of being across the hall from them. And then their act got a very nice reaction in New York cabarets and in Los Angeles cabaret. And Bette Midler said, girls, I'm doing another tour. If you come back with me, I'll let you be the entire opening act of the entire tour. So I was flown to L.A. to teach Brett Midler's band the Harlets music for their own act. And I finished the rehearsal that morning and they were up on the stage at a rehearsal hall. And I went to the back of the rehearsal hall and just sat on a couch. So there they were up on a stage and in walks Bette Midler. <laughs> I'm just watching her. I'm like, I mean, it's Bette Midler. I, you know, this was, my head was exploding, but I was trying to remain calm. <laughs> and she went up and she started rehearsing and I couldn't believe I was sitting in a rehearsal listening to Bette Midler rehearse. And then at one point she said to the band, you know what, I love to sing No Gesturing. I, of course, knew that this was an obscure cut from her third record, but the band <laughs> looked at their music and there was no music in, their, in, their, in the book for No Gesturing. And one of the harlots went over to Bette and said, is him out there? I bet he so Bette Miller said, you, back there, you know no gesturing? And I actually got to, my fantasy completely came true. I walked towards the stage saying, oh, Miss Midler, I know every note of every arrangement of every song on every record. Please let me play for you. And that was it. Uh, she put me in her pocketbook, took me home. She, she was, she's a thrifty gal. So she said, I want to keep you around, but I'm, I don't want to put you in a hotel. You can just stay in my guest room. So I went from Bette Midler posters on my wall to living with her in a rather small house in her guest room and with her boyfriend at the time, who must have thought, why? <laughs> why is he here? And that was mm, around, I guess, 1978 or something. Wow. Maybe I was 18 at that point. I'm not sure. And so ever since then, what is that, 40, 42 years? And little yeah. by little, I worked, I worked my way up doing things for her, you know, vocal arrangements, musical directing. And then along came beaches and big business movies where she needed to sing and have someone help choose the songs. And that's where I really earned my stripes, where I got to co-produce the Beaches soundtrack. And I'm the person who brought her the song, The Wind Weaves My Wings, that I had heard. Uh, a cabaret singer at one point sing a few years and I had remembered this song like it cemented itself to my brain it was such a brilliant song that I somehow memorized it and I was able to say to Bette and the producers and the director this song would be so perfect 
and I sang it for them and they all started weeping and then suddenly so there and that was her I think her first number one the rose maybe got to number two but Wind With No Wings was her first number one so I really earned my stripes and then there were lots of there have been just amazing many 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 moments of true just being thrilled at, you know and then you know just last year when when I was a little kid, I would sit in my room and just listen to the Mary Poppins soundtrack over and over again. Mm -hmm. It was, it was mm -hmm. basically all I listened to for probably six or seven years between right. the time I was six and 12, let's say. And then once I was 12 or 13, I moved on to Bette Midler Records. And I just listened to nothing but Bette Midler Records for, for years and years. And the fact that I had this full circle moment that Oprah Winfrey has never even had, where last year, Bette Midler, sang the song that Scott and I wrote for Mary Poppins Returns. And there I was at the Academy Awards nominated with Bette Midler singing a Mary Poppins song. Like, Right, right. I, yeah. I was so, the, the, you yeah, know, like that, that, the night is so fraught with, you know, nervousness <laughs> and what, I don't think I even put it together until months later. They're like, oh my God, that happened in my life. Like, wow. My fingers oh. right now are numb telling you the story. Oh, I have goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. Yeah, that amazing. That's fantastic. And I do like to share these stories, you know, especially for students, because it's, it's not just about me touting my accomplishments or name dropping. It's these right. are examples of dreams coming true. So, I mean, it, it's, it just shows people like this can all happen if you're, you know, you have to be lucky, but you have to have the talent and mostly you have to show up. Mm -hmm. you have to show up you have to show up that's great advice wow, wow. i i can so <laughs> clear i mean my mom i was very lucky that my mom decided to give me all of her like cast recordings and albums when i was young and um so i have like bet and barbara and all of the cast recordings of pretty much everything from the first thing yeah <laughs> and I, i'm looking at them now in my office i have one of those big cube cabinets and the whole bottom are my albums that i will never get rid of but i remember so clearly going to the movies to see beaches oh. i remember where i was sitting i remember who i was with and i remember the ugly crying and snorting <laughs> Like I, I it's like a sense it's like I a had. sense memory if ever you know whenever I I play a role where I need to cry I think I can just like sense memory back to watching beaches because yeah wind beneath my wings just it's so beautiful and it's so moving and her performance was so incredible yeah That's yeah. Yeah. I, I love stories. <laughs> I just totally got goosebumps. Yes, I, I have complete goosebumps. Time, I'm yeah, it. the times where you, you've met people that, well, you're you're one of those for us, Mark, to be quite honest. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple of moments in Hairspray. Oh, my God. Um, and I don't want to start crying, but um, there's a couple of moments in I don't, but there's a couple of moments in Hairspray when I first saw the show were, um, well, when, I know this will sound weird, but when the um, Welcome to the 60s is one of my favorite numbers. And there's, it's just something about the relationship between um, mom and daughter and the way that it, that it's, it's done in that song just, just makes my heart just, swell and i really want to start crying it's a mom thing sorry I but um I, I get it it's just so it's just so beautiful just the way that she 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 uh, anyway it it's just a beautiful yeah, how the, song. the daughter just, the daughter becomes the mother you know and, oh and, my god and, it is so sweet it's just so sweet how she takes care of her mom i just love that part and then you have like the black the the black girls that do the little backup thing i was like yes more of this, please. You know, I I don't get to see myself very often in in productions like that, but it's it's great. But when you see that, and then the harmonies, and then they're singing, and then the, yes, all of this, put it all together. Yes, please. 
<laughs> yeah, such, such nachas. Such nachas. Yeah. Oh, vault. <laughs> <laughs> she well, pulled out the nachas. <laughs> I, thank, I, thank out the nachas. I thank you for that. And I feel the same way when I watch it. You know, that's one of those out-of-body experiences that we were so lucky to get to write this show. And, you know, I can enjoy it like just an audience member. And then every now and then I have to remember, oh my God, we wrote that. I, have to, I can even tell you, I know this sounds really obnoxious. We're working on a video of You Can't Stop the Beat where a lot of people are going to perform on it, you know, just in the way that all these things are happening right now, people from the right. home. Mm -hmm. And just this morning when I was making a tape for someone and the end of You Can't Stop the Beat was playing, I, I was playing it, I was editing and it was just so joyous and wonderful just listening to it that I myself got choked up like, oh, I can't believe I got to do this. It's no, so it's, it was just, that was fully the, the most content moment of my life was when Hairspray opened on Broadway. Because it was, everything about it is what I want to be. The best part of me is- Right. Hairspray. And if you so like hair, if you like hairspray, that means you like me, or you like me oh. when I'm when I am at my best. You know, right. I, have, I have other sides of me that maybe are not as as yeah. as, as wonderful. We all, we all have yeah. that, you know. But I, I, it's such a that whole score, like the entire score, is just. Oh, I love that show. I cannot get enough of that show. I love it. Did I tell you I love it? <laughs> I think I mentioned that. I think I mentioned it. But if I didn't, I love it. Okay. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's one of those shows, like, Noelle and I were talking about such a wonderful history of music um, that you, you've given us. And it's, it's wonderful to see because it never fails. Like, I'll watch a movie or I'll watch something and I go, God, I love the music. Who did that? And there's your name. <laughs> Um, Sister Act is the same way. So Sister Act, um, the second one in particular, when they did the medley at the end with Joyful Joyful and all of those, I was like, wow, this is really good. Who did this? There you are. <laughs> well, that one, I must give credit where credit is due. A brilliant, I had a brilliant partner on that, and that was really his brainchild, which is Mervyn Warren. And if you don't oh, know who okay. Mervyn Warren is, you, you best look him up. Mervyn Warren is one of the most brilliant musicians, arrangers on earth. He was one of okay. the co-creators of Take Six, which was a gospel oh, okay. that, yes, re that yes. really created the sound of current sound of acapella music for the last few generations. All right. comes out of what they created with Take Six. Then he made this great record called A Joyful Messiah. Uh, it's Handel's Messiah done gospelian as I would say. Oh. <laughs> so when the Sister Act sequel came along and they said we wanted to be with an inner city school and kind of have even more of a, a gospel feel. And the people at Disney said, and we want to bring in someone else to help you. And I was like, don't you racially profile me. I, I, <laughs> many have said that I've got black in these hands. What do you mean? <laughs> I, was, I was outraged. And then they said, well, the guy we we're thinking of is Mervyn Warren. I was like, Mervyn Warren, oh my God. Because when I first heard that Take Six record on the radio, I literally pulled my car to the side of the road because I couldn't listen to it and drive. I was like, what is this? Oh my God. So he came along. So that brilliant arrangement of Joyful Joyful, that's all his baby. And oh, he, well. he was inspired by what we did on the first movie of like taking a song and right. making it fit what it is. And we worked together, but but that is really his his baby. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Well, I like the first. I like the stuff in the first one too. I enjoyed it. You know, and at that time, I um, <laughs> I don't get it so much anymore. But at the time, um, you know, being an actress and trying to get into film and trying to do all this, I, there I just couldn't get a foot in the door because it was like, you know, who you look like? Yes, I know. I'm well <laughs> Got her career. I got mine. Yes, I know. So it was it was nice to see that. And I was like, well, you know, someday, someday they might make this into a musical. So you never know. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was so, one of my, that was one of the heartbreaks of my life and career is that I was not asked to, to write yeah. the musical of Sister Act. I mean, I can't argue with the choice of Alan Menken and, and that came from him. It was his idea to musicalize it. But I actually, a lot of the movies that, a lot of the iconic movies that I wrote scores for, movie scores, have become musicals that I was not involved with. The Addams Family, Sister yeah. Act. Uh, they did one of Sleepless in Seattle. Um, they even did one of Beaches. They did one of Beaches, yeah. Shoshana. Uh, was yeah. it Shoshana in, uh, in that? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoshana being oh, Yeah, that's very odd that I've done all these movies and then didn't do the musicals. But, uh, huh. oh, well. I'll well, it, it, things change. You never know. I'm telling you, this world, just like the story you're telling me of how a full circle, you never know. You never know. <laughs> when they need a rewrite of one of those ones that never made it to Broadway, <laughs> I know who I'd call. <laughs> um, as a little aside, I just, in, in, researching you a little bit before this interview and looking and seeing your body of work, and I saw American President. I was Anna Devere Smith's stand-in on American President. Oh my. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I know that movie. I know that movie. Yeah, that's a beautiful movie that I, I'm, I'm very proud of that one. I'm, I'm lucky that you're naming all the ones I, I like. All the good ones. <laughs> you know, because I've had a long career and there's some you could mention that I'd be like, oh, we have to talk about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> the American President is, is such a beautiful movie. And just, I saw it recently. Both Rob and I were brought to Sedona, uh, New Mexico or Arizona? Mm -hmm. Wait, Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, to the Sedona Film Festival. And they were honoring Rob and they also honored me. And then they showed that movie at the end of the week. And I hadn't seen it from beginning to end on a movie screen since, I guess, the premiere. Mm -hmm. It was so good. I was literally reduced to full-on ugly crying and I got up to introduce Rob right after the movie I was so overcome with the gratitude of been given that opportunity to write that kind of movie score for such a wonderful movie that I got four words out and just much to everyone's shock collapsed crying I mean you know where you can't talk and you just have to stamp your feet until you can get your speaking back um so it's funny that you should mention that. That's such a recent memory. Oh, that's great. I love it so much. I was so proud to be part of it when I went to see it. I can't remember if I went to the the premiere or if it was just like a, Probably a SAG, SAG screening yeah. or something. Yeah, something. And um, I just remember, I, I've seen it so many times. I haven't seen it in years. I think I might, I have a VHS copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have a VCR for purposes like that of the movies that I have on VHS. So I think I might pull that out to watch because it's been a while, but I've seen it many, many times. And whenever it would be on TV, no matter what point it was, if it was halfway through the movie, it didn't matter. I would stay on that channel and watch, watch the end of that film. I was very is, proud to have worked on it. There is a musical theater connection. There is. Which I completely forgot until I watched it you know, that, at this film festival. I totally forgot that when uh, Michael Douglas's character tries to go buy roses, like a normal man mm -hmm. buying roses for mm -hmm. his date, and so he finally sees the florist shop that he keeps trying to call that they keep hanging up on him. So he goes into the florist shop, and the girl is just on the phone, not really looking at him. And when she looks at him and realizes the President of the United States is there, she faints right over. Well, that girl is Camila who was one of the Dynamites, the original Broadway oh. cast. She's a welcome to the six, to the O, to the apostrophe S. Oh, my goodness. She must have been 10 years old. I mean, she must have been 18 or something when she did that. Uh, so there, I couldn't believe it. There she was. So it all uh, comes together. See, there you go. Musical theater everywhere. Musical theater should be everywhere. <laughs> it is everywhere. It is everywhere. People it just is. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, but something I did want to talk about is Catch Me If You Can. So is that one that you like or that you don't like? <laughs> it's certainly bittersweet to, to put it mildly, yeah. I mean, because it was a flop. And, and, and it was so... I mean, not there was no bloodshed, but it was a contentious. It was a breach birth, let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, just 
it was the opposite of Hairspray where on a show like Hairspray happens when everyone all sees the same show and they're all working towards right. the exact same. They all have the same idea in their heads. Somehow that happened. It's, it's lightning in a bottle. You might only get involved once in your lifetime with that experience. So Catch Me If You Can was people who love each other dearly, and yet no one could kind of quite agree with what it should be. And, how, you know, so it just always kind of stumbled. Um, and there are great songs in it, and people still, you know, perform it, and, mm -hmm. and they have a great time performing it. When Scott and I go to see it, Scott says it's kind of like being a football team that's been sat down in the locker room after a game and the coach is pointing now this is what you should have done here, and why did you do uh, this thing you did that there? So going to see it can be kind of like a, a struggle for us, um, but I'm certainly happy with the songs that you know last forever, and um, mm -hmm. and still the most wonderful friendships were made during that that you know also last forever. I I got to tell you, I saw it twice because I love. You're the one. I'm the one. I'm the one uh, by myself both times. Uh, I, I, in fact, the first time that I saw it, I went to, I live in Montreal and I went down to New York specifically to see that show. And I saw that show and I saw Anything Goes and I saw both by myself. And, um, I'm a big fan of the film, uh, but I loved the music, of course, but I love like the, the choreography. I love the choreography, the performances. Yeah. I mean, Norbert, amazing. I don't understand why Aaron didn't get more love because he carried that thing and yeah. I thought he was fantastic. I, I thought, I just, I loved him. And I guess you guys have the connection because he did Hairspray as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't understand why it didn't survive. I like, I couldn't figure it out because I love it. And I've seen some community theater productions of it as well. And I always enjoy it. I always, always enjoy it. So um, that's one show of yours. One of many shows of yours that I just, I love it so much. And we've oh, so many songs, you know, now with the uh, pandemic and being stuck in my house here, going through the garage with boxes and boxes of things. And, and so I've been coming across songs that Scott and I wrote for, both for Catch Me If You Can and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which had a similar uh, life uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So many songs along the way towards the, what ended up being in the show, which is another thing about Hairspray. I mean, the greatest shows on earth have many songs that were lost along the way, the path towards Broadway. Mm -hmm. Hairspray, no, it's like, everything was so it was just this fairy tale where every song i mean the first four songs that scott and i wrote for hairspray were good morning baltimore welcome to the 60s big blonde and beautiful and i know where i've been wow. there's really no trunk there's maybe two or three trunk songs for hairspray luckily in the movie we got to put uh the new girl in town which yeah. didn't, didn't make it on broadway but uh we got to put it in the movie I like um, that song. Yeah. yeah. But I could send you a million Cash Me If You Can songs along the way. Yeah. Do it. Do it. I'll sing them all. <laughs> Feel free to send them to me. <laughs> I'll geek out. <laughs> um, so you did touch on Charlie. Stephanie and I were talking about Charlie a little bit just before you arrived here as well today. And we were talking about um, Christian Borel and his his involvement in that coming off of Smash. And Stephanie had seen something where he said he didn't, he never thought that he, he had done a demo, but he never thought that he was going to actually get to play the role. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. As a matter of fact, that was one of, I came across one of Christian's demos that he sang for us, a song that never made it into the show, never made it past the email to the director. I mean, it got that got that far. And then it was like, eh, how about you try something else? So uh, wow. Chris and I wrote to Christian, I sent him, I texted him and Scott and I said, I can't believe we made you learn this much of a song just for a demo because it's very intricate. I cannot believe he did it. But he is truly like, it's a terrible term, idiot savant. But he is, he is someone who, Nathan Lane is the same way. You can just, 
uh, that just brought me to another story. I remember Nathan Lane saying of the demo for Scott and I of Timeless to Me for Hairspray. Oh, wow. We're friends with him and we work with him. So he came over. I said, let me play it for you. I played him the song. I'm not making any of the story up. I played him the song. <laughs> then I said, okay, I'll play it again. He said, don't bother. Just turn on the mic. <laughs> you know, the song repeats itself like three times within the song. So by the time it finished, he sort of had maybe heard the melody sort of three times. He got up and basically sang the song having just only heard me sing it once. Wow. I mean, that's just wow. like some freakish thing, <laughs> you know, and that's a whole other kind of talent. I mean, obviously someone like Nathan or Christian, they're so full of talent, but then some people are also blessed with that, that kind of retention and memory. I, I mm -hmm. can't believe it. So anyway, and Christian's the same way and working with him is an absolute joy. And having work, and so there we were on Smash as we were writing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So we just kept saying, Christian, you know, it's like, you know, there's no promises. Would you just come over and sing a demo? And he would he'd always be like, I'd love to. So we'd literally drive home from filming an episode of Smash and he would sing a demo for us. And, and then luckily it did happen and he got to do it on Broadway. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Big fan of, big fan of Christians, um, which I suppose <laughs> brings us to Smash. Being theater kids and I suppose for anybody in the theater community, the Broadway community, to get to see what you're most passionate about on national television, um, network television. Time, yeah. It was it was such a huge thing for both of us. I, I mean, I I don't think that I ever missed seeing an episode of smash when it actually aired i made it part of my even when it switched to saturday i made it part of my week of you know get my dinner or my tea or whatever and sit down and watch this show i i put our password for our zoom as second hand because it's a song that i do in in a lot of i've done it a lot in cabarets and shows and I've actually done a lot of uh, probably too many Smash songs in cabarets, <laughs> but never it, it, too many. <laughs> yeah, it 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 means so much to us, and the music is so stunningly beautiful. And I want Bombshell to happen so badly on Broadway. <laughs> what can you tell us about uh, the development of Smash? And and uh, and you were an executive producer as well, correct? Yeah which is really just a something they write on a deal memo i don't know how much it actually meant um but uh right here in this house where i'm at right now scott and i got the phone call from neil and craig saying we're sitting with steven spielberg and bob greenblatt the head of nbc and we're wondering if you'd like to be part of a show where you get to write a musical and then that musical will be produced on broadway at the end of the year and we were like, well, let me think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me think for negative two seconds on that. <laughs> so the whole show ending up on Broadway thing didn't uh, occur. Mm -hmm. uh, and for, for many reasons, mostly because once the show started, and that's the odd thing about the idea of Bombshell ever being a musical on Broadway, and people are, are trying to think of how to make this work. It's not... I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that Scott and I wrote lyrics that were about Marilyn and the people in her life, but also every episode, it was about the theme of the episode and what was going on with the characters. Mm -hmm. So like when Ivy sings, they just keep moving the line. It's about her frustration of like, I think I get the part and then, then oh no, now I got to do this. And it's just this never ending finish line that just keeps getting pushed. So. And that is also how Marilyn felt like, am I ever going to get credit for like the actress that I am? Mm -hmm. And so every, you know, every song is at its, its most, its strength is the fact that it's playing both these sides of, of this, I don't know, I can't think of the word, but my hand movements are saying it every day. <laughs> but but your listeners won't see my hands. So, and then the other thing about Bombshell being on Broadway is that um, 
if any one girl was ever going to try to sing all those songs that we wrote, knowing that they only had to sing this one song this per week, if they any one girl ever tried to sing all those songs in one night, like like Marilyn Monroe, she would die at the end. <laughs> it would have to be a, a different girl every night. She would expire with <laughs> blood spurting out of her, her, her throat. So it's very hard to think of how that works. But, you know, people are trying to think of how to do it, to create a new, a new story that those songs fit into. Uh, well, anyway, I can't say much more. But um, gotcha. we did do, the, you know, that concert that we did. Yes. Do, and that was like, uh, for one night, Scott and I felt like we were the Beatles. I mean... Ugh. The sound, you know, they released a few songs, but the the audio mix, uh, what they released, was just what goes into the soundboard. Okay. So it was a very dry, raw sound, and it wasn't at all like what it was like in the theater. Uh-huh. But I'm happy to say the correct audio has been found, and we are working on perfecting a videotape of that night. So. Oh. Hopefully Great. people can relive it as close as you can from just watching a video to what the experience was like in the theater, which was, uh, uh, I can't even think of the words of what that was like that night. I'll be the first person to buy that. I, I had wanted to go and see it. And I don't know why I have such bad luck getting tickets for things that sell out quickly. I'm just, I'm, I'm unlucky in that. I couldn't get a ticket. I was like, I'm going to New York. I'm going to go see this concert. And I, I couldn't get a ticket. Yeah, well, it was just one night. So you know. yeah, that's it. So, but uh, yeah, I, I have seen, cl- I have seen the clips that are floating around out there from it. Um, and, you know, just seeing, just seeing um, Megan and, and Kat together and, the chemistry that they had and what they were doing at, at that concert in particular, I just, it was, it, it just brought back those feelings of watching, watching the show, which it, it just, I can gush forever <laughs> about smash. <laughs> well, we're very happy that, you know, all those songs that we got to write. I mean, I'm very proud of those songs. Um, so I have a, a question for you, and maybe you already answered this. You might, you may have, you might well have already answered this. Of your body of work, what do you, to you, what do you feel is your best work? Oh, a hairspray. I mean, well, you know. Yeah. Hairspray. Hairspray. I, I mean, the, the thing that is maybe the, the second most meaningful was then Mary Poppins Returns. Because as I explained, as a kid, I was completely obsessed with Mary Poppins. And so when I heard they were gonna make a sequel to Mary Poppins, I was like, those were dark days because if when I was unsure if we were gonna get the job, you could ask my husband, Lou. I was for a certain time, literally in a dark room under the covers, unable to get through a day. Cause I was like, if we don't get this job and I have to live on planet earth and, and see the posters and know that someone else got to do it. I, I, I'll be so devastated. I, I'll have to find, I'll have to go off the grid. <laughs> I will, I'll have to move to a log cabin in the woods. And <laughs> I don't know what I will do. So that was, you know, and I think the movie came out so beautifully. So I, I was very moved by that whole experience. And so, but you know, if they have to put one thing on my tombstone, then hairspray would be something I'd be more than ecstatic to have there. So you were talking about how your feelings about uh, Bette Midler. Mine, my bet is Mariah Carey. That is my bet. One day I will be working with her. I'm just gonna claim it. You know, <laughs> um, she. I, I noticed that you worked on Merry Christmas to You. Right. The sequel. Can you tell me a little bit? Yeah, the sequel. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about working um, on that project with her? Sure. Um, Randy Jackson somehow kind of knew me. I don't. We worked on something a million years ago. Anyway, he just thought of me out of the blue. Randy Jackson, as in you know, dog from the yeah. American Idol. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was her manager, or, or he, he just helped. He was always overseeing her career in, in one way or the other over the years. Right. And so he just called one day and said, would you like to write songs with Mariah Carey for another Christmas record? And that was another one of those, hmm, hmm. think about, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's certainly a character. She's certainly unique. Yes. I went over to her house to work with her. Uh, I think we wrote two songs that afternoon or wrote the beginning of the two songs that were on the record. And I also was produ- co-producing and arranging other like actual Christmas uh, carols. They wanted a, a bigger orchestral sound, bigger orchestra, a, a cinematic yeah. sound. So that's how I, you know, was on- brought onto it really also. She's absolutely hysterical for I all the her. reasons that you already know. I mean, if you see her talking, whether she's, you know, I on UVC or what have you, she is just, she, you know, has no Fs. To give she she, just, <laughs> she really doesn't she just is who she is which is why i love her because she's like whatever darling if you don't like it i don't care it's not my I, problem i have some brilliantly <laughs> funny text messages with her that i cherish that are just readable you know just i can just read them and just enjoy the insanity of you know the shared insanity we both we both it turns out we both absolutely love the movie um bullets over broadway Oh, okay. And she can imitate and do all the dialogue from Bullets Over Broadway impeccably. She's really good and really funny. And so basically when we talk to each other, we just speak in Bullets Over Broadway-ish kind of dialogue. And, um, you know, it's an absolute thrill to get to work with one of the greatest singers of our generation. Right, right. One day. Even, I mean, when I, she released Hero, she sang like at, you know, made an in-home video like two weeks ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote her, I said, how did you get looking so glamorous and and still be socially distancing? (laughs) Did did your glam team come, I said, and like like stick like a a mascara stick on the end of a a selfie stick? (laughs) (laughs) And she would just be like, darling, I'll never tell. I figured there was a darling in there somewhere. There was definitely a darling in there. Darling, darling. At this, at this point in the world, do many podcasts now just say, well, let's just put the Zoom video up of this conversation as opposed to only the audio or does that? I don't know. I, I actually, that's, I guess that's worth looking into. Girl, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm like, we got our roots happening. You both look spectacular. Oh, thank you. It's the lighting. <laughs> Hey, at this point, you know, two months in, no one gives a That's true. That's right. very true. So. I, I wrote music for a play, a revival of Neil Simon's comedy, Plaza Suite, that Sarah Jessica yes. Parker and Matthew Broderick were starring in. And Opening that night, I think, right? That Friday. The, the day everything stopped was the Shut day down. that we were wow. supposed to be our first preview. Right. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you, uh, there, were, uh, there was the West End production and then it moved to New York. There were, my understanding is there were differences um, musically um, from the two. So the, the American one, I guess, incorporated more of the music from the movie as well. And that didn't happen in the West End. Is that correct? Yeah, when it started, you know, when the producers first came to us, they were like, we don't want any music from the movie. We want it to be a totally original musical. Then they took us for a walk. My, my co-lyricist, Scott Whitman, said it was like a scene out of The Godfather when Sam <laughs> Mendes brought us up to his, his weekend place and then took us for a walk in the woods to say, listen, we've got to put pure imagination into the show. And, you know, we understood at that point. Uh, I mean, it, it was not what we had been promised, but, you know, at a certain point, you can't be stupid. You know that this song is so iconic. Right. And, th- and then by the time it was time to Broadway, we had totally given up on that idea of not using songs from the movie. And it's like, you know, at a certain point, the part of you that wants an audience to be happy takes over. And you know <laughs> that they're happy to hear those songs. So, you know, we had to lose, you know, the they expression, you had to kill some of your babies. You, have, you know, we had to lose, actively lose songs that were in those slots when we moved to Broadway. And, um, and then we wrote some other songs and there were a whole bunch of other ideas and concepts. 
there was an entirely different creative team on Broadway. But, eh, you know, it lasted longer in England. In England, it had humongous sets that were just so spectacular that it was, it was quite a, uh, well, it was just spectacular. So on Broadway, they went with more of this idea of pure imagination where the audience imagines incredible sets, which was a way to make the running costs, you know, be something that can exist. Right. Uh, and that ended up maybe not being the best idea because, you know, people want to get bang for their buck nowadays. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tickets are so expensive that it's, it's hard to tell an audience. Now imagine an incredible <laughs> set here. For, you know. Right. <laughs> little by little, so there are some scrambling done in previews, but the die had been cast. And, and so that was, you know, that was just something that happened. Yeah. Uh, Ah, all right. Well, I enjoyed this wonderful you know, Christian, can't go wrong with Christian world anyway, but <laughs> um, never. I really liked, there was, uh, must have been, you have kids and then you lose your mind. <laughs> it happened to me and I didn't even have the kids. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I have the worst brain fog. Oh, dog it. Yeah. Um, the song for, uh, in the glass elevator. Um, in the, on Broadway? Yes. Um, the view from here. Thank you. That is probably one of my favorite songs in the, the new music um, for that show. But I enjoyed the show. I liked it. Yeah. Thank you. And we, 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 I mean, yeah, that song was special. I mean, that, that was a, a nice song. I, I, we were very proud of the lyric. Uh, uh, when a boy has just a touch of odd and he walks the street without a nod, he should know that odd is a gift from God. <laughs> like this right. starry blue. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Right. And tears. <laughs> it was, yeah. Just want to touch on a little bit um, the award show stuff that you've done for uh, Billy Crystal, for Neil Patrick Harris. Um, is that is that something that... Uh, is that something that, that you really enjoy doing? Is it something oh. that just, you know, just comes to you and you just, because I, I mean, those Billy Crystal numbers, yeah, I mean, that no, was like, that. that was like my, all of my growing up years kind of. And, of course, and, um, and in the nineties, that was, except for like sister act and a couple of moments like in well beaches or the end of the first wives club, it was Billy at the Oscars where I was getting a chance to be a really a musical theater kind of writer. Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the film scores. And so that yeah. was like a real lifeline during that whole decade was getting to do those, those medleys with him. Uh, and, and then to do it with Neil Patrick Harris again at the Tonys. It's, you know, I love it. Whether it's writing music or lyrics or writing lyrics to existing music in that parody kind of way, I love it all. It doesn't, playing piano, arranging, orchestrating, whatever it's all just show business it's all entertaining and it's it's i i love doing it all and i feel blessed to have the you know ability and the opportunities to keep doing it even that's... at advanced age oh. <laughs> oh that's wonderful to hear mark truly our guest today has been mark shaman thank you mark for so many wonderful stories and for such wonderful music sure my pleasure thank you for asking I'm Noelle Hannibal. And I'm Stephanie Anderson. And we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>